Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, you said something in the last episode that has been kind of one of my my themes about trying to wanting to do this podcast in the first place. And now that we've been doing this for almost 130 episodes, you know, kind of why do we do this? And, you know, obviously written in every episode for those that read the description is we do this to bring ourselves as individuals closer to God and being closer to God is going to be a more moral or more holy life. But the way that I've always tried to articulate this is in a practical standpoint of every day, your life gets better with it, with living closer to God. And a lot of people just see the sacrifices of what that means. And they just think it's the worst thing ever. Well, that means I can't go and get wasted all the time. I can't go and hook up with any girl I want. I can't do any of this, that all that momentary stuff that seems nice in the second, that in reality is really problemsome. They feel like dropping that stuff, which doesn't help you in the long run is a problem. And as we've discussed more and more, over the last two and a half years that we've been doing this cast, that truly enveloping and going down the route of listening to the morality ends up being the more practical and best result answer for everything. Both in this in the moment, but especially in the long run of what you're trying to create for your life. You know, there's not a single kid on planet Earth who wants to wants to study nine hours a day. It just doesn't exist. But if you want to get into the school you want to get into, you know the Notre Dames and Stanfords of the world, you're going to have to put some effort out. You're going to have to do a sacrifice for that. And it's uh, applicable to everything else. So we just had the conversation on our last podcast about stem cells. And how the church stepped in and said, this way looks easy. It's not going to be the long run solution that it can be. Nothing positive can come from a negative starting point. It's essentially where the church's stance was. Murder is bad. This is murder of children. We're not going to let this happen. And then eventually, everyone figured out this new pathway of adult stem cells. And it's working really well. And that's applicable in so many other facets of life. So, Father, I, I know that you see this because you, you're a priest. You you live the moral ground continuously, and you and you've seen in others as well as yourself the guidance that you've given to other people to become closer to God and and just trying to run a more moral life, and how that benefits. So, I wanted to open up this space here to be a conversation about that, and just kind of reinforce why we do what we do. Yeah, thanks, Joe. It's a, a a great principle, you know, that doing it God's way is better. <laughs> I like to say it like that because it makes it sound really obvious. Uh, and at some level it is. Uh, doing it God's way is better. It always works out better. And there are a lot of areas that, uh, the, you know, the church has has taken a controversial stance society has said, surely it's better this other way. Uh, another one that comes to mind, you, you mentioned the stem cells and you know the, the number of positive results from adult stem cell 
therapies is just uh, uh, verging on miraculous. Uh, I mean, it's what what adult stem cell therapies are able to do is amazing. Totally moral uh, medical procedure. Embryonic stem cells require us to kill an embryo to get its stem cells to apply it. The results have been uh, non-existent. You know, so there's a really obvious application there. Now, the church didn't make the judgment based on the success of it. It's really important to know that because otherwise we start to apply a model of utilitarianism. Well, let's see what gives the best result, and that's the moral method. Now, the church applied the moral method based on basic principles, killing an embryo, killing a human being, even for the good purpose of saving another human being is never right. The direct killing of a human, of an innocent human being is never acceptable, is never moral. It doesn't matter what the results are. The ends do not justify the means. If there's one part of it that's bad, the whole thing is bad. So you can't use one person to, to, for the sake of another person, or we create a, a kind of uh, caste system of this life is worthwhile and this life is not worthwhile. Who makes those judgments? Then we've made ourselves God. So uh, that's one uh, one area, and that's our kind of launching point. Another area that makes me uh, that comes to mind is in terms of artificial birth control. Uh, there was a, when the new forms of birth control became available, the the birth control pill. In the 1960s, just to give you another little window into that whole thing, they they developed a male birth control pill. There were a couple of deaths in the uh, experimentation process, so they totally abandoned it. They developed a female birth control pill, which led to a lot more damage to the female body and actually a lot more deaths uh, because the female birth control pill is uh, a, a level four carcinogen. It actually, it causes breast cancer. It, it, it leads to an 80% increase in the rate of breast cancer for those who use the artificial birth control. But that didn't hinder the doctors from actually making that uh, FDA approved and promoting that all over the place. Little side note there to reinforce our theme of doing the immoral thing <laughs> reinforces doing more immoral things, treating women as less than men. Why should the women be the ones treating themselves with this carcinogen in order to try to stop a kind of male, to alleviate a male problem? A lot is a male problem of, of infidelity and of uh, hypersexuality and whatever else. Anyway, that's a whole long discussion. But Pope Paul VI in Decide, he he uh, launched a commission of a variety of experts, including doctors, various lay people, as well as priests, theologians, uh, bishops, to study this new form of birth control pill to, to evaluate how does it work? Does it fit in the Catholic uh, morality for how life is to be conceived or not conceived? Does it honor uh, the dimensions, the requirements, the moral principles of human sexuality. And the commission decided that it did. Uh, but Pope Paul VI came to understand through the commission, 
how it actually works, what it does. And he saw that it did not. And so he made what's called the minority, uh, well, he made the, he wrote the encyclical Humanae Vitae in contradiction to the majority report that was formed by this commission. Now, unfortunately, the commission leaked the majority report before they presented it to Pope Paul VI and before he wrote Humanae Vitae. And so the result was that the world expected the Pope to come out and say, oh, this form of birth control, as opposed to the condom, a barrier method, the barrier method sort of has its own symbolic value. I'm cutting you off from me. I'm putting up a wall between you and me. And so that was a sort of more obvious violation of the meaning of the sexual act. The pill was a little more questionable. It wasn't clear how it worked quite as quite as well. So um, Pope Paul VI came out with Humanae Vitae, reaffirming the church's teaching about birth control, giving a very beautiful teaching uh, that's very much worth reading. And then he also gave a prediction. He said that the use of this artificial birth control will lead to increased uh, sex outside of marriage because the, the connection with having children will become less obvious more of the time. The expectation will be that you're not going to have children. And so the connection between sex and children will become less obvious. And so people will start to have more sexual activity unconnected with the meaning of sexual activity, which has to do at least in an essential way with having children. Um, so there'll be more sex outside of marriage. There will be more marital infidelity. It'll be easier for men to sleep around. And uh, again, separating that from the sort of full meaning because normal, normally sexual activity involves the full meaning of your life because the possibility of having a child ultimately means that your lives are going to be wrapped together for the rest of your life <laughs> because that child is going to keep people together, is going to connect people with each other uh, for the rest of their life. So increased sex outside of marriage, increased marital infidelity, increased marital unhappiness because men are going to be more likely to use their wives for, for sex when they don't really also want the full meaning of that, which is also includes children. And then also an increased use of abortion as a backup method for when birth control fails and a child is conceived. Four predictions, all four of which are obviously true, statistically, without question, have, have increased since 1968 in the massive spread of artificial birth control. So just giving another big example of the principle of what you were saying, if we follow God's way, things go better. Not well, easier, not necessarily uh, suffering free, pain free. There's still sacrifice and struggle, but the end result is better. It's more love and less using and uh, abusing the human person. And, and going off of where you're at, there's, there's some extra steps that happen as a result of everything the Pope just said. Um, and, and I think that we all see this because it's so common around us in all life. Marriage is less happy, more sleeping around. Divorces have increased. And then the next step from there is remarriage and kids that bored with 
indirect clarity about who actually cares about them and that because you're my kid for my first marriage or my second marriage and I'm on number three, you know, who, who's actually caring for these kids. And you can see children that are coming up in those types of situations where, okay, my two half brothers are the current mom and dad made them, but I'm like out on the shadows and you could just see this becoming a much larger problem globally or at least in america and there is big some really big problems that's coming from that and it's all starting from a starting point that there wasn't really love in the first place and then the other side of that coin is well if they didn't get married in the first place then there's not even any status there where you're seeing the same problem just on a multiplier effect because there's not even a, a a veil of connection not even a veil of, of there. So that is certainly something that is a problem. And I think that it's it's one of these things that comes from a thought. So you, you have a, a an early teenage girl. Your biggest fear is that she becomes pregnant. So what does society say? Just give her this pill. Your biggest fear is not going to happen. So good for you. Um, and then... As she gets later in life, all will be good. But as we've seen in many other examples throughout these recordings is that not doing it God's way doesn't work. And we just kind of outlined the problems, but it's a lot harder to have those conversations up front than to do it. And I guess this is something I didn't understand growing up. I guess I figured once I got out of college, people would just be generally smart um which has been an assumption that unfortunately never panned out thanks america but you know people don't talk to their kids it's weird and just having basic communications i know that i don't remember what episode it was was probably a year or two ago we were having a conversation where you were telling a story that you were in a room with a bunch of men and how few of them, their parents ever even broached the conversation of sex with them as they were developing. And then that gets to the rebroadcast we had a couple of weeks ago about, well, then kids find things on the internet and the whole thing implodes. So I'm assuming that to turn the page to a little bit of a different example about, you know, just listen to God's way, it's common sense, that communication with your family is an important thing here and having scary conversations that might mean you have to grow a little bit. Science around us has made it so you don't have to, you could tweet. You don't really need to talk. You're texting 28 characters and a smiley face. So good job team. Like that's not going to work. And it's just something that, uh, I don't even really know how to continue the thought, but it's wrong. And I don't get why it's not, common sense that it's wrong and not working until 10 years later when it's like oh well i didn't even think to do that so let's kind of slow down here and try to address some of those common sense things that we're missing sticking within the the common sense spot of doing god's way is the right way and it's pretty obvious yeah yeah another uh, example and i i know we've 
touched on this before, so I'll just uh, speak of it briefly. But uh, in terms of not having children is one thing. And it turns out that, uh, first of all, artificial birth control is, is only, it's like 93% effective or something like that. Um, people are often having sex more than 30 or 50 times, in which case there's suddenly a very high chance that that 7% is going to break through and uh, some people are going to conceive on birth control pills. Uh, so anyway, it's already not effective. Uh, there are methods of watching one's own body and honoring one's own body and making intentional decisions about whether to have sex based on whether one also plans to have children. And uh, thinking in those terms, being more intentional about it and making better decisions, which can be guided through natural family planning is a kind of catch-all name for several different methods of just using the markers in the woman's body to indicate whether she's fertile or not, and then making decisions based on that, uh, rather than just sort of following animal instincts and, and uh, living, you know, doing, living in the moment, uh, being you know, actually paying attention to those things turns out to be more effective. It turns out to lead to greater marital fidelity. Couples that use NFP have really, really low divorce rates and uh, fosters a lot of communication. Again, it's not easier. I've just talked to several married couples recently using NFP and they, they say, you know, nobody talks about how hard this is. Uh, yeah, there's some challenges. You do have to have the communication, you know, and you have to, uh, there are those days of abstinence and it's like, it doesn't go according to your plans. And, and I know people both who, um, you know, because of just the normal rhythm of it, it's a challenge, but also people who are trying, you know, already have several children and don't want to conceive another child. Well, it turns out that, you know, the woman, the what's really borderline in NFP, she's actually still really fertile in. And so, you know, they conceive a child when they hadn't planned on it, and that can be its own uh, burden on them. Now, when the child is born, nobody wishes that they didn't have it. You know, that's the way that those things play out. But just to say, following God's way is not just sort of like easier and more superficially pleasurable, but it generates more love. That's really, it requires more sacrifice, more relationship, more communication, uh, requires more love and it, and it fosters more love. But another example is on the other end of the spectrum, when people are trying to conceive a child, well, it turns out that NFP is helpful for that too. If you're really making sure to have sexual relations when the woman is fertile, that's going to help, you know. Um, but then NFP is actually a diagnostic tool also to, in, to discover where a woman may be having some uh, some difficulties to diagnose what's happening inside of her body in a non-invasive way. And that helps to apply some therapies that are all moral and possibly some surgeries also moral in order to actually treat specific problems rather than just masking them, which is uh, what a lot of different chemical things can do. So that turns out to be a really helpful way. And the whole uh, suite of uh, diagnoses and uh, remedies is called NAPRO technology. Very effective. I know lots of babies conceived because a woman went through the NAPRO technology suite of procedures and uh, is now fertile and, and has dealt with those infertility problems. On the other hand, the kind of scientific club that gets applied 
broadly to conceiving uh, new life is is called in vitro fertilization is a very prominent one and that's removing a number of the women woman's eggs uh, causing her to uh, ovulate several times, collecting those eggs, getting sperm from the man, which generally happens through masturbation, which is a problem, uh, and then combining the sperm and the eggs. Normally, because it's so expensive, you don't just try to like line up one sperm and one egg. You put a bunch of those things together and you end up with a number of potentially fertilized eggs. You can't really tell whether the egg is fertilized right away. The best way to do that is to implant it in the woman. So you implant maybe four, five, six potentially fertilized eggs in the woman. Of course, she doesn't want to have six babies, and that could be medically dangerous. So you find out which ones start growing, and then you eliminate the others. It's called, in this very sterile way, uh, selective reduction. We also call it murder because it's killing a living human being. When you have a fertilized egg, that's called a living human being. And so by killing the living human beings that you don't want from the process of in vitro fertilization, on average, you end up killing or freezing nine children in order to bring one to birth. This is a big problem. And again, it's the kind of thing that they don't normally tell you. Normally, when you go for in vitro fertilization, they tell you it's going to cost you whatever it is, $100,000 or something, or $30,000. I don't know how much it costs. A lot of money. But they tell you how much it's going to cost in dollars. They don't tell you how many human lives it's going to cost. And so again, the moral method actually treats the woman as a person, actually handles the whatever's happening in her body that's preventing uh, fertilization and implantation, which is probably something that she needs to have healed anyway. It's actually addressing the person as a person and treating her as a person. And then it's bringing about this conception of new life and it's caring for each of those human lives with the infinite value that they have. It's not a production line mechanism in order to reproduce. In vitro fertilization is what they use with cattle, by the way. Uh, these these kinds of techniques are perfectly acceptable when we're talking about barnyard animals. But when we're talking about the precious and infinite value of a human being, it's, these are not moral techniques. And again, the result is expensive, problematic, dangerous, devaluing of human life, as opposed to the, the moral method, which really treats with the greatest reverence the, uh, everybody involved. So just another example of how the moral, now again, it's not easier. So just pulling out these eggs and this sperm and doing everything in test tubes and in this kind of sterile way and let the doctors in the white coats and the scientists do all this stuff. And the end result is I have this precious little baby in my hand and then I ignore all the rest of it. And it just seems like easier and uh, whereas NFP is messy and difficult, NAPR technology maybe requires some surgeries and it can, it can seem very difficult and involved and there's a lot of suffering and waiting and, and you know, it's not easier. The moral method is not just easier and more pleasurable, but it upholds the right values and in the end produces the most love and, and the greatest values 
in terms of upholding the, the dignity of the person and bringing forth new life and it's effective and all of those things as well. Yeah, and one of the things that had come out of this conversation a couple of times, it's been brought up in a couple of different examples now, is that morality is not math. You can't just arbitrarily say, I'm going to help more people. So no matter what it, I have to do to this few, because it's going to help mathematically more, it's okay. And I think that's something that gets really spun a lot. Like when you see these arguments essentially for doing something that's that's immoral. I mean, we just went through a lot of examples here about why doing immoral things, that's a big problem. But just because the so-called benefiting group is larger than the group who's not benefiting doesn't mean it's worthwhile, nor is it moral. And I think that that core concept is really lost in this current society because so much of everything is just comes down to numbers, you know, what's bigger than this, what's more beneficial, blah, blah, blah. When you've really pointed out, it's focusing on the direct cause. If the direct cause in itself is moral, the rest of it will all work out. If the direct cause point is not moral, the rest of it will fail. And it's almost in that sense, that black and white. And that makes sense. We kind of come full circle. As you say, just doing it God's way is pretty obvious. And, and the rest of it's there. But whether it's intentional or not, we just get in our way so often. And one of those sales pitches for immorality is pure math numbers. And that is a problem. So, Father, I do want to give you a chance here to say the final words here as we're concluding today's episode, and uh, we'll take it into the next week. Yeah, I, I like to think of these things, uh, to use one model, of, in terms of value hierarchies. You know, what's what's our highest value? Is it the, uh, you know, the monetary value? Is that what we put up highest? Well, it's, you know, this is the cheapest way. Um, you know, how are we, how are we ranking... <laughs> the the value of things well if you can save 500 people that's worth one person you can sacrifice one for the sake of 500 or or is it 5000 you can sacrifice one for the sake of 5000 uh, how many how many people does it take what is the proportion that's that's effective uh, that that allows you to to sacrifice people you know most of us would look at the aztec practice of child sacrifice and say that's barbaric, but that's precisely what we're doing when we say, "Well, if you just sacrifice one embryo, you get all these stem cells that you can help all these people." It's just the sacrifice to the god of medicine rather than to the god of the sun, you know. So, um, yeah, that that heresy of proportionalism in uh, in moral theology is very dangerous. Whenever we value a human being as anything less than infinite. Whenever we make a comparison to say, this human being has accountable value, this human being has accountable value, and human being A is worth more than human being B, or human being uh, one, two, three, four, together are worth more than human being five, and so it's okay. Whenever we're applying a, a finite value to a human being, we're going to end up in terrible problems in 
when talking about morality. Uh, so, yeah, it's a simple uh, takeaway. We can't. Every human being has an infinite value, and so we 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 value. We we can't make comparisons that way to say this one is more valuable than that. And that makes sense. So I thank you for today's conversation, Father. Uh, everyone out there will be with you again here next week. Thank you guys for continuing to give us the reviews you have been. If you haven't been yet, please give one up on iTunes or whatever site you're getting our podcast from. And please continue to tell the word as we are growing rapidly. Thank you all, and we'll be with you next week.